Today's podcast is sponsored by the 2022 Westminster Conference, September 9th and 10th. Register now online at rpts.edu slash events. And there's more at the conclusion of today's program. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. You are listening to Mortification of Spin. My name is Todd Pruitt. I'm pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and I am joined, as always, by Carl Truman, who's professor at uh, Grove City College in Western Pennsylvania. Well, Carl, it's uh, it's good to see you. You know, so often we we over the last couple of years we've been doing this over Zoom, and then like once a year. We end up in the same room in, in uh, somewhere in our secret location in, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Notice that I say it right. It's not Lancaster. Don't you ever say that. Say what? Lancaster. Lanca- Lancaster. It, no, it's not Lancaster. That's how it's pronounced back home, man. Well, that's, well back Before home is cheap wrong. American knockoff. Oh, my goodness. No, it, it, it is <laughs> Lancaster. It is Lancaster. Lancaster. No, no, it's not Lancaster. 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 That- Lancaster. I learned that when I first moved to Philadelphia in 2009. You'll be telling me it's the wrath of God. No, I said, uh, I said Lancaster from the pulpit of Church of the Savior, uh, like in 2009, and and it was not pretty. I was yeah. I was corrected numerous yeah. times afterwards. I could never understand when I first arrived in the States, when I went to a restaurant, mm-hmm. I, would, I would ask for a glass of, of, of Merlot. Mm-hmm. And they kept bringing me, this is a true story, Miller beer. And then suddenly <laughs> I realized that Americans don't pronounce it Merlot, it's Merlot. Well, so I'd say, can I have a glass of Merlot, please? And then I'd get the right thing. You know, Carl, I, I just want to point something out. I can do a decent English accent. I can do a very good Scottish accent. You do the worst American accent I've ever heard in my life. It's it's horrible. Yeah. Well, I'm just I'm just speaking as I hear it. Okay. Now. All right. I Imagine having to live listening to that. Well, um, I, as I, I do over I, here. I'm sure it would be awful. I'm sure it would be awful. Well, folks, um, we are uh, uh, glad to have a, a a returning guest with us today. Uh, Dr. Greg Lanier. Greg is the Associate Professor of New Testament at Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando, Florida. I've I've been to Orlando in the middle of the summer several times, and I can tell you it's pleasant and refreshing and uh, uh, has no issues with humidity whatsoever. Or alligators. Or alligators or um uh, yeah. So, but nevertheless, it's uh, it's a beautiful spot. In fact, I'm going to be near there in a couple of months with my wife, and I'm looking forward to that. Um, but Greg, thanks for um, now, now that we've talked about uh, about your home uh, for a little bit. Uh, thanks for uh, for being on with us today. I, I'm 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 always impressed when someone's willing to come back a second time. Mm. Yeah. You know, so, so oh, well, yeah, we're only two minutes in, so we'll see. If there's <laughs> We've never yeah, had anybody Todd, walk out. <laughs> right. Thanks for having me. But Todd, I, I do yeah. commiserate with you about this whole British uh, yeah. failure yeah. to appropriate the English accent. When I lived overseas in England, 
uh, you know, they always make fun of Americans for doing poor British accents, and that's fair enough. But uh, every Brit that I knew who tried to imitate Americans, they can only do Walker, Texas Ranger. That's all they can do. Um, and it was, and they, they're like, no, 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 I can do it. I can do it. Like, let me talk American. I'm like, no, you sound like. It was so bad. I, I got to say, I completely commiserate with him. It's true. I love that series. The eyes of the Ranger are upon you. <laughs> Anything with Chuck Norris in is worth watching, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely, absolutely. So, well, I I like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna repeat that sometime. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Greg, so uh, you have a new book published by Crossway. It's called Old Made New: A Guide to the New Testament Use of uh, the Old Testament. Um, obviously, you're you're a New Testament professor. Uh, that's your area of, of expertise. What what are you aiming for in the book? What was the genesis um, of this book in terms of you know, this is the thing I want to, I want to focus on. What, what are you, what are you after for you, for the sake of your reader um, in, in this new book? I see what you did there with Genesis. That was well played. <laughs> well, thank uh, you very much. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, my, you know, yes, by, by day I'm a uh, New Testament professor and whatnot. And the, and the running joke in my New Testament classes is gospels and Paul and what have you is that they're basically just Old Testament classes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which is true because that's it's like you just keep going and going back to the Old Testament because that's right. what you to do. So that's kind of the how I cut my teeth and all this. But the, the goal of the book in, in simplest terms is an attempt to take a lot of really good work that's been done in this area, namely how – so the book's not about how to read the Old Testament. It's right. not about how to read the New Testament. It's about how to read their intersection when the yeah. New Testament uses the Old. So it's a, it's a particularly – it's a more narrow than just like how to read the Old Testament and find Jesus. It's, right. not, it's not really a book about that although it's relevant to that. Sure. Uh, how to take all the stuff that's been done over the past 30 years plus by big league scholars mm-hmm. um, and, and how to, to take it to the pew. That's the fundamental right. goal, yeah. uh, which is more my, you know, pastoral right. nights and weekends hat that I wear. Right. Uh, although I've found over the years that students who come to seminary, um, they get really on fire about this topic and it really, causes a lot of light bulbs to go off when they start seeing how Paul or Luke or Mark derive all this wonderful stuff in their theology uh, and Christology and eschatology from the Old Testament. Right. Uh, but then they read the books that are out there, even the ones that are meant to be a bit more introductory, mm-hmm. and they just immediately get lost. Um, and, you know, a, a, a colleague of mine now, Greg Beal, you know, his textbook is kind of the gold standard right. as kind of an intermediate intro. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've even found that you know, master's level students have struggled at times with the book like that because there's a certain amount of irreducible complexity in this topic. And so I was like, okay, well, what's the baby step to Beal? Yeah. And that's kind of what I tried to write. Yeah, yeah that's a great uh, way to describe it. I, I, I think that's a great, I hadn't thought of that, but that's a great way to describe it because as I read it, I did think of of Beale and your you know Beale's work of course is 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 well known and that's because I I as I read your book I thought you know this is scholarly it's footnoted um uh th- this is a smart book but it's one um that I could put into the hands of a really interested layperson who's who's used to reading some things that are a little challenging I could put this in their hands to really help them with that and um yeah, uh, yeah that's, I think that's a great description and I was surprised that it hadn't really been done before. Definitely. And that could be that could be because it's virtually impossible to do. As soon as you <laughs> open this can of worms, yes. you, you've got big words like hermeneutics and Septuagint right. and Midrash and blah, right. blah, blah. And 800 pages. And I tried to write the book without using those words. But uh, but even then, like you like, I really tried to put this on the bottom shelf that I can do personally. There's only you know, 
Uh, I'm not going to be writing, you know, kids books, but, uh, but even then, like you said, it's still more going to be for the interested reader type. It's not, it's because it's not bloggy. It's not. Uh, and so even then I'm like, this is about as simple as I can make it. Yeah. Uh, so no, it, I think that's fair. It doesn't turn people off that way, but that, it, it really was a challenge. Like, how do I take something so complicated that, you know, you're Richard Hayes or you're right. uh, Francis Watson, the big league mm-hmm. guys do. And, and it's, you know, they have a 700 page book on this for just the gospels. Like, okay, how do I package that into two pages? Right. Um, right. So that was the real challenge. Yeah. So, and and I, I, you know, this is, as you said, this is not, you know, a daily devotional book, but I know people in the church I pastor that I could put this in their hands and they would do well with it. So it is not, um, it is not beyond the grasp of, 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 of someone who has not been through seminary for some, it'll be more challenging than others, obviously. Sure. But, but I know men and women in my church who could take this and, and wrestle through it really, really well and enjoy it. So, yeah. Um, and, and there is actually, uh, at the urging of my wife who is constantly trying to get me on the, uh, you know, the study guide Bible study train so that we can pay for college. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I did actually write a study guide that goes, you know, through the chapters, has a lot of examples, questions, and it's free. It's a PDF on the Crossway website uh, that you could, you could use in a Bible study context. Okay. Let's all work through this example. That's actually not covered in the book Mm -hmm. and you can sort of do it on your own. So there's that out there. And and one idea you might want to hold on to, you know, know, based on your wife's counsel is maybe a title for a book you can work on is the rise and triumph of the modern self part two. Yes. Or something that might, but anyway, I just the study guide, right? The study guide, yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, word to the wise, Greg, you might find that giving stuff away for free is not the best way to pay for your kids <laughs> going to college. It's, uh, <laughs> but, Fair uh, enough. Yeah. So, Greg, I mean, when we're taking it at baby steps, let's think. You know, many of people listening to our podcast are members of good churches, good reformed churches, but maybe there's some out there, and you know, they've heard a guy like Andy Stanley make the statement that he made a few years ago about how the church, I, I, I hope I'm not misrepresenting him here, but... Unhitch from the Old Testament. The church, yeah, the church needs to unhitch itself from the Old Testament. Uh, and maybe that, I wouldn't say it makes intuitive sense to them, but they've struggled over the years to think the Old Testament's a lot of great stories. Uh, the Psalms are beautiful hymns of praise, but how do I integrate this into my Christianity? What would be right, the, sort yeah. of the two or three basic things you'd say to somebody who's who's coming at this cold uh, and maybe this is the first time they've ever heard that wow the, the new testament really does use the old testament and requires the old testament for, to be properly understood what are the two or three things that you would point them to as as key things to meditate upon and to grasp sure that's a great question and i, and I do think stanley he, he tried to walk some of that back mm-hmm. but uh but the point still remains that you know People grow up in churches that either, by theological principle, say that we are New Testament, we're New Covenant or New Testament Christians, and therefore the Old Testament isn't really relevant. And I've had people in my own church who are like, yeah, I've never heard a sermon series on an Old Testament book. You know, wow. They might use the Old Testament to prove a point about uh, sanctity of life or whatever, but they're not like going through Zechariah, right? Mm. Um, or uh, there's a kind of... Um, the Old Testament scary. I don't understand it. Um, it. It has the destruction of the Canaanites and so forth. So there are a lot of reasons why folks might come to the game, come to this situation. Like, I just don't really understand the Old Testament very well. And it's kind of intimidating to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so a couple ways you could address that uh, other than just buying this book uh, and getting the <laughs> companion study guide. Um, I would just point out the unhitch idea. 
uh, as, and again, that could be philosophical that you don't think we need the Old Testament uh, or, you know, certain theological camps, you know, the uh, dispensational camp, mm-hmm. some might go that direction. Uh, not all, obviously. Um, or, or you just you don't understand the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, that idea, one thing I always point out is it's simply not an option uh, whenever you actually turn to the New Testament. The idea that we can just have the New Testament, the Old Testament, the Old Testament God is bad, and the Old Testament mm-hmm. we don't need anymore, we're going to unhitch from it. I think if you told that to Jesus, Paul, James, mm-hmm. Peter, et cetera, they would just look at you like you're crazy mm-hmm. um, because the New Testament itself is so uh, entrenched in the Old Testament, really from the very first verse of Matthew 1.1, which is putting us back to the Old Testament, right. all the way to the end in Revelation 21 and 22, when you have those great quotations or sort of allusions to Isaiah, it's just not an option. Yeah. Second way that I maybe, and really what the, what the book is in some sense trying to do, maybe the kind of corollary point, I suppose, is be a gateway drug to uh, reading the Old Testament better. And what I mean by that is if you are, let's say you're a new Christian or just one who hasn't done a lot of uh, study yet, uh, and the Old Testament is intimidating other than, you know, Daniel in the lion's den and so on. Um, one way to get at it other than, you know, get the machine reading plan and struggle through numbers, that's one option. The other option is to approach it from the New Testament. And actually start reading your New Testament and then do the work of seeing how they interact with the Old Testament and sort of let them be your guide as to what are the key points of creation, fall, redemption that they're actually drawing out. And so uh, that's what the book is sort of secretly trying to do mm-hmm. is say, look, the Old Testament is absolutely fundamental to how we construe salvation, how we construe Jesus and how we understand who we are as the church. And the New Testament can become kind of your roadmap to figure that out. So that's one thing I would do. Uh, second thing I would do just briefly is I would point them to some of the Cliff Notes versions of Old Testament 101 that we actually have in the New Testament. And the two big ones would be uh, Acts 7, which is a massive summary of the, the big picture story of uh, the Old Testament. And then sort of second to that would be Acts 13, Paul's speech, uh, and then Hebrews 11. And so those would actually, you can actually sit down and sort of say, okay, let's use this as our table of contents to read the Old Testament. What is Stephen? What is Hebrews, author of Hebrews? What are they pointing out? And it gives you like, here is the basic storyline. Yes, there's a lot of stuff they leave out, but this is actually kind of an inspired roadmap to the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And then maybe a third suggestion, and I, and I packaged this with the book, but also I did this years ago at a uh, RTS thing we did called Teaching Women to Teach because I made a little curated reading plan mm. uh, where I picked the what I think are kind of the the playlist of the top 200 chapters of the Bible that and how they relate to each other. So like Genesis 1 getting matched up with 2 Corinthians 3 and 4 as well okay. as John 1. Yeah. And so instead of reading roughly 1,200 chapters, you read 200 chapters and, it, and it's basically a set of Old Testament passages and a set of New Testament passages along 13 major themes. Lots so creation, fall, you know, conquest, kingship, exile, restoration from exile. So it sort of gives you, here's the big picture storyline, and here's where the new, the Old Testament and the New Testament sort of play that out. Mm-hmm. So you can go through that slowly, get your head around the big picture, and then you can start kind of filling the details. And yeah. so I've, I've found that to be pretty helpful for folks who are new, and they're like, I don't even know what the Old Testament is about. Right. Like, what is the story? Right. Like, well, here's the story. Like, don't get lost in the details of 
the middle of Numbers. You know, right. Like here's two chapters from Numbers that you need to know, and then let's move to Deuteronomy and keep going. You know, mm-hmm. and then then fill in those gaps later. So those are a couple of different yeah. thoughts on that. As as we think about uh, certain doctrinal themes that become very very clear in the New Testament, um, and and that if somebody's not careful, that they might conclude that that they're new all of the sudden, they suddenly just appear in the New Testament out of nowhere. I, I, I think about things like, um, you know, uh, uh, regeneration, for instance, the doctrine of regeneration. And I wonder if you could explain just a little bit how, you know, the New Testament actually doesn't invent, although it clarifies perhaps our understanding of regeneration. Regeneration is not invented in the New Testament, if that makes sense. Right. Um, you know, how, how, where, where, where would you want people to kind of look to see, you know, that theme, for, you know, for instance, in, in the old. Yeah, Testament? yeah, and I mean, and I, I really think, and I, and I sort of lay this out in the book, with the exception of the more complicated doctrines, like you know, hypostatic union, as mm-hmm. an example. Yeah. Pretty much all of the major doctrines that the church stands on mm-hmm. um, that we derive. Yeah, as you mentioned, you know, that are clarified and really set forth in the New Testament. The thing that was surprising to me even in writing this was how all of them they actually prove, and I and I think you can actually do the work and, and show this, that every single one of them they prove from the Old Testament. Yeah. Uh, which in some respects that's may seem shocking because I think you're right. Some folks think that, oh yeah, grace is this new invented thing in the New Testament, and faith is this new thing, and justification. It's like, no, actually. None of those are invented per se. Yes, they are, you know, clarified and so forth. But uh, to the extent that they were biblical apostles, they're going to be using their Bible to do their right. biblical theology, and they're always going back to Abraham for faith. They're going mm-hmm. back to uh, Leviticus for, you know, be holy for I am holy, mm-hmm. uh, sanctification kinds of stuff. So that, to me, I hope is in some respects really clarifying for folks. So that's a big part of the the book is showing that. Right. In terms of regeneration, uh, you know, one place where you could do that is uh, how Paul talks about this uh, in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, uh, how, you know, God is replacing a heart of stone with a heart of flesh. Uh, this is this is the glory of the new covenant and so on. And, and even though he doesn't kind of smack you over the head with it, he's pulling all of that right. from Ezekiel. Right. Uh, chapter 11, 36, uh, where God pulls out the heart of stone, puts in a heart of flesh, mm-hmm. using flesh in a good way there. Yeah. Um, and I've always found students who, whenever they make that connection in class, like, oh, wow, that's crazy. I never thought about mm-hmm. that. And it's like, yeah, this is not, he's not making this up. How, where would he, where would he make this up? Right. 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 Um, so yeah, you can do that with justification. You can do it with adoption, glorification, creation, uh, and so on. So uh, that's just one example. Yeah. But I think that, that for me is a big aha moment for folks to realize that the, the doctrines of grace are Old Testament doctrines according to the apostles, yeah. um, which is, I think, pretty pretty fascinating and super important. Yeah, I, w- I was I'm just getting ready to finish up in a couple of weeks a 84 week series through through Genesis, and I, I love Luther's observation about Genesis. And Carl, I'm I'm assuming this is not apocryphal, but that Luther actually said that that Genesis is a little Bible. And that everything you find in all of the Bible, you can find in seed form in Genesis. And it's true. It's it's interesting how, as I've preached through Genesis, I've almost preached through the whole New Testament simultaneously. And 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 it's and it's been extraordinarily 
uh, encouraging in that way. I mean, you know, we've, you know, we've seen in Genesis justification and regeneration and sanctification and all of the, and of course, you know, the gospel laid out so clearly. So, um, and the, and the, you know, the personal work of Jesus exactly, uh, and so on. Yeah, exactly. Of course, and so why wouldn't they do that? I mean, right. where else are they going to go right. to theologize? Yes, they're going to get, you know, obviously, I'm not saying that they're not spirit inspired. Yes, something changes when Jesus comes on the scene. That's all true. Mm-hmm. But what's changing is they're now sort of able to understand and apply the redemptive story of the old covenant in, in this fresh way, in this fresh light, and like connect all the dots. So, yeah. Here's a question, Greg. Perhaps it's a slightly trickier one in some ways. I think uh, a lot of pastors uh, find the redemptive historical approach to to Scripture uh, very helpful, uh, very liberating. It's a way of preaching the Old Testament that allows you to avoid the the old, rather simplistic, dare-to-be-a-Daniel kind of applications. And yet, I, I wonder, how do you preach the Old Testament relative to the new in a way that still allows you to make legitimate practical applications without descending into a kind of naive, blunt, uh, do this, do that kind of thing. I, you know, I, I spent a lot of my time as pastor. My, my, my great love was preaching Old Testament narrative. And I think you know, one of my questions was, was always here. So how do I avoid preaching essentially the same sermon every week? You know, hey, here's how this story points to Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. Uh, how do you address those kind of questions? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's an enormous, uh, an enormous issue. Um, and, I, you know, there's probably a couple of different ways I could address it. One is, and I mentioned this in the book, uh, the New Testament authors, in my opinion, uh, don't actually shy away from using Old Testament figures as moral examples. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I don't, I don't think we, you're right, we don't want to overdo that. And, you know, the dare to be a Daniel thing can certainly be uh, taken the wrong direction and can become very externalistic and so forth. But uh, they actually do do that, uh, both in terms of positive examples, and it's not just Hebrews 11, but others but also negative examples, you know, don't be like Cain, don't be like Balaam, don't be like so on and so forth. Uh, so maybe, maybe there needs to be a retrieval, if we will, of uh, good moralistic preaching from Old Testament characters. Cause like, well, they do it. Um, Joseph is a good man. Joseph yeah, is an, yeah. is, is an exemplary character. And I preached on David and Bathsheba a number of times and always make the point. You know, being a tea, peeping Tom is a bad thing. You know, yeah. hanging around with time on your hands, looking at what you shouldn't look at, right. you're going to yeah. end up in bad places. That's it right. seems to be a and legitimate it, application yes. of the text. Yeah, because the New Testament authors do that. Um, exactly. you know, they, they, yeah. they may not do that with, with David in particular, but they do with a lot of others. Right. And so um, I think that's probably this sort of our hangover from maybe the 90s, like, don't be a Pharisee was the only way we could understand anything. And don't, yeah, so... Yeah. Um, you know, maybe maybe there's some space to recover some of that. It's like actually, you know, dare to be a Daniel's not not wrong. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, that's, that's, okay, that's a great point. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so that's one point I would make. Mm-hmm. Another point I would make, and again, this is this is sort of what is my entire theology of preaching. So it's a bit hard to to distill down. But with respect to the book and how the what I what I take away from the process of writing that book and how I bring it into uh, preaching, one of the things I found really clarifying in the text of the New Testament that corroborated or demonstrated for me that idea that you're mentioning in terms of the redemptive historical approach to preaching and homiletics 
is that they actually are doing what your preaching press professor is telling you to do. And in other words, your preaching professor is getting that from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you what I mean by that. So one, one really interesting example uh, from Paul. And Paul, of course, is big redemptive historical guy. He's got this whole massive theology of creation, anthropology, and the fall of Adam and the implications. So, so I'm not taking any of that stuff away. But what he does that's so interesting at various points is he will pull out of nowhere seemingly odd Old Testament passages. Mm that aren't like super Christocentric, mm-hmm. like, wow, this is all pointing to our need for a savior and mm-hmm. Jesus, the great deliverer. And he's bringing about the inaugurated new heavens and new earth and blah, blah, blah. All that's really important. And Paul does do that. But he also will say things like, uh, you know, we need to give to each other. We, you know, churches need to support each other. You need to be uh, generous in your giving. Yeah. And don't just like drop because everyone, so that everyone uh, who, or whoever gathered little, got more and whoever had you know too much shared with other people yeah. and he's he's pulling that straight from exodus uh the uh, manna scene uh just a cryptic side note in exodus 16 i believe uh about what they did when they went and started collecting like an omer a day of manna uh, and you're like, what? why is he doing that? doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. Uh-huh. You know, it breaks all my mold. How do I preach that redemptive historically? Well, what he's doing is he's basically saying, look, we are Israel. You know, we are eschatological Israel. God has provided for our needs. He's a faithful God, and he cares about our food. He cares about our financial provision. And within the people of God, we care for each other, just like Israel was supposed to do back then. We continue to do that today. Um, that to me is actually remarkably helpful because it models for us a basic preaching principle, which is, and this is my principle, or at least this is what I try to do. It's not how to come up with it. When I'm in an Old Testament passage, what I'm trying to do is reduce the gap between Israel 4,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago or whenever and 2022 yeah. by helping, helping my people see that we are Israel. Right. Now, we are the wilderness generation. We are the offspring of Abraham. We are the ones who are facing the exact same thing that they're facing then. It's the same God mm-hmm. who is meeting our needs in a whole lot of different ways or rebuking us or shaping us in some way. And I'm trying to kind of actually squeeze that gap out and say, no, we are reliving the life of Israel. Because mm-hmm. that's, that's what I'm persuaded that the New Testament authors, at least to a large degree, are doing. Another example is 1 Corinthians 5, and not to belabor the point, but when Paul's dealing with this egregious sin at Corinth of a man has his mother-in-law, whatever it is, or stepmother, and they're, they're just boasting about it. it's all wonderful, super woke, like, uh, probably shouldn't use that word. Um, is that an and, official RTS position? <laughs> not an RTS position. Um, super progressive sexuality there, Corinth. Yeah. And uh, he's like, no, you shouldn't do this. This is bad, and you should turn this person over to Satan. And then at the very end of, or of, of the section, he says, uh, purge the evil one from among you. Mm-hmm. And you have no idea because I'm not aware of many English translations that put it in quotation marks. Some might footnote it. Not all do. That is a verbatim quotation from Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it actually shows up in that exact form multiple times in Deuteronomy mm-hmm. dealing both with adultery as well as covenant infidelity <laughs> among the people. Mm-hmm. And Paul just drops it in there without even telling he doesn't say as it is written he doesn't say as moses said he just does it from his own mouth but he is verbatim quoting deuteronomy saying that we are the same covenant community that needs to deal with sexual impurity within our covenant fellowship that we have with each other and with god 
because that's how he sees us. We are still the people of God. Yes, it's gone from old to new. That's true. Mm-hmm. But we are still in covenant of God. So those are the kinds of things that for me, what I'm trying to help my congregants do is see that, that we are living the same redemptive storyline. Yes, on the other side of the resurrection, that's true. And that's super important. But that's one really fruitful way to, I think, help people really inhabit the world, basically. Like, we are we are in Moab. You know, we are dealing with the same thing. So, I, that, that's a hopefully, that's a helpful way to that answer is, that yeah, question. That, that's that's yeah. very helpful. Yeah, I like that a lot. Well, these are very deep waters. And I think one of the things I would yeah. say is that the, you know, how you connect the Old and the New Testament goes to the very heart of how you read the Bible and how you understand its relevance for the day. And I uh, want to say great thanks to Greg Lanier, uh, not only for his teaching, but also for this book, which uh, allows everybody access to his reflections on this very important topic. Just a reminder, title is Old Made New, A Guide to the New Testament Use of the Old Testament. It's available from Crossway. Uh, if uh, We have a couple of copies to give away. If you would like to visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, you can enter for a chance to win a copy there. Uh, should you uh, not win a copy, I would still highly recommend that you purchase a copy, read it, reflect upon it, because this is a key question for how one understands and applies the Bible to the church today and to our own lives today. Uh, while you're at our website, if you feel led to make a donation, please do so. We are a listener-supported podcast. All that remains is for me to thank Greg for spending some of his time with us today and to thank you all for listening and say we look forward to being with you next time. Everything Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. Best American accent. Give me a cheeseburger. <laughs> Yo, man, I got some new kicks at size. If you want to come down and try on some new shoes, you get me, dog. Hey, boy. How you doing, boy? You're not very good at that, are you? <laughs> the southern southern Texas accent, you, uh, the, it comes to mind like a Matthew McConaughey, like, all right, all right, all right. I totally am hating on this weather right now because, you know, it's cloudy and not getting my tan and... Go skateboarding, surfing, maybe buy some Nike, because uh, everybody loves Nike in America. You sounded like you were from Camden, mate. Don't ride the waves. Let the waves ride you, man. Give me a cheeseburger. Don't say the same thing. For many churches, the sacraments hold little significance. Others assign them an unbiblical purpose or meaning. Gain a Reformed perspective on the sacraments of the church. Join the pastor professors of Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary for the 2022 Westminster Conference, September 9th and 10th near Pittsburgh, PA. 
It's the Westminster Standards and the Means of Grace. The sacraments as holy signs and seals of the covenant. Keith Evans, Richard Gamble, Jeffrey Stuyvesant, David Whitla, C.J. Williams, and Barry York explore the sacraments as a mark of the church. The essential insights of Calvin, Lord Warriston, and more. Friday evening and Saturday morning, September 9th and 10th at Providence Presbyterian Church in McKees Rocks, PA. Learn more or register now online at rpts.edu slash events. rpts.edu slash events. The 2022 Westminster Conference, sponsored in in part by the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals.